I worked with men at Teen Challenge for nearly three years who came from every kind of background that you can imagine. Drug and alcohol abuse, sexual addictions, greed, lying, stealing, and the list goes on and on and on. But a common misconception about Teen Challenge and adult centers in particular is that most of the men who entered the program came from jail or prison. Although some did come from jail or prison, the vast majority came from here. A church. Or their nine to five jobs. Many people grew up in the church but they had never made a full commitment to surrender their life completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it showed up in very visible ways through addictions. Now again, others, believe it or not, came straight from full-time Christian service. One man in particular had to delay his admission to Teen Challenge because he had a week-long revival ser a series of services that he had to preach before he could come into the program. Now, statistically, only one out of four men, or 25%, who go to a Teen Challenge Center actually finishes the program. 86% of those who graduate live successful Christian lives free from life-controlling issues. Now, the question is, why is it only 25% and 86% respectively? Why is it not 100% across the board? Well, I believe one of the major reasons why it's not 100% and this is certainly not the only one, but I think one of the major ones is that, is that these people, we, get tired of fighting, get tired of trying to overcome, get tired of trying to achieve the victory. Now, there seems to be no hope of any real lasting change. All hope seems lost, and these guys would simply give up. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we find the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Elijah was a prophet who brought honor to God. He had no stated life-controlling issues. It appears that he was a common man used by God in very uncommon ways. So let's look now at 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? His response, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who were supported by Jezebel. Verse 20, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire or by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. 
Verse 25, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Verse 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Now, this is a very spiritual discipline to mock people, right? No. It just happened to be the case with Elijah at this point. So again, verse 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. As I told the first service, I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder. You notice the craziness of this whole situation. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Verse 30, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do, it, do the same thing again. And when they had finished, he said, do it, now do it a third time. So they did just as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Verse 36, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Notice the simplicity of his prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I, had, I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. And not just the bull, the wood. And not just the wood, but the stones. Now that's some heat from heaven, isn't it? And even the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And then verse 40, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. What a story. Now, the picture you see here is the Kishon or the Jezreel Valley. And the perspective that you have is looking kind of southeasterly, I believe, or southwest, I'm not sure. But you're looking out in some direction there. <clears throat> Look at that valley. 
we actually stood and we saw the valley from this vantage point this past March when we were in Israel. And it's a tremendous sight. It's a beautiful place. But the perspective, again, is right up on top of Mount Carmel in the area where all of these events took place. And the Jezreel Valley that you're looking on, down onto right now is where the prophets were taken and uh, disposed of, let's say. Now let's look back at verses 16 and 17. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now let me give you a little background here. Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was Jezebel's husband, whom we will hear a little more about later. He blamed Elijah for the drought in Israel. Now if you look back at chapter 17, verse 1, we see Elijah declare, There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Obviously, he was only making a declaration that came directly from God himself. Now, the charge of troubling had never before been brought against anyone in the Bible except one other guy, and his name was Achan. And this was an indictment that was worthy of death. The charge of troubling was a serious, serious charge. Achan was an Israelite who fought the battle of Jericho with Joshua. God had commanded the Israelites to destroy the entire city of Jericho because of its great sin. Only Rahab the prostitute and her household were spared and only because she had hidden the Israelite spies in Joshua chapter 6. God further commanded that, unlike most victories when soldiers were allowed to take the spoils of war, the Israelites were to take nothing from Jericho. Everything in it was accursed or devoted to destruction. God warned that anyone taking items from Jericho would, quote, make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it, end quote. Now, the Israelites obeyed except for Achan. And he stole a beautiful robe, a gold bar, and some silver shekels, and he hid them in his tent. Israel then went on to fight against the city of Ai, even though God had not directed them, had not yet directed them to do so. But Israel was soundly defeated. They had won an incredible victory that God brought over Jericho, but then they were soundly defeated at Ai. Now, why was that? Well, it was later revealed that Achan had taken these three small items before the city was destroyed. This one man's sin brought trouble on the entire nation of Israel and prevented them from achieving victory. Achan and everything that belonged to him was completely destroyed as well. Now, considering this background, you can imagine how Elijah must have felt when he was called troubler of Israel. You ever been looked at and someone said, here comes trouble? It's kind of a badge of honor, really. Well, yeah, I like to be known for trouble, right? At least when you were young, not since you've gotten older, right? But in this context, it is a terrible indictment. You never want to be called a troubler. So obviously, not good company to be in. Elijah had opportunity for his confidence to be shaken, even at that moment. But instead, in chapter 18, verse 18, he states, I have not made trouble for Israel. He immediately refuted a demonic title that Ahab attempted to pin on him. 
He goes on in the same verse to bring appropriate God-centered perspective. He states, but you and your family's family have. And here's why. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. You and your family are the real troublemakers of Israel. Now in the Bible, Baal was the primary God worshipped by the Canaanites. He was thought to be the sun, storm, rain, and fertility God. Baal worship included cult prostitution and even child sacrifice. I don't know why anybody would want to be a part of that, but thousands of people were. Baalism succeeded in enticing at certain times even the Israelites away from the pure worship of God and resulted in the fusion of differing systems of religious belief. In other words, it produced a pagan mixture of Canaanite and Israelite worship. So, in essence, they worshipped God and Baal. Now, remember, in this account, Elijah stood courageously for the Lord. He didn't seem to hesitate or second-guess his judgment. But let's now look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me, and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you killed them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. What a change. What a turnaround. Are we talking about the same guy? Obviously we are. After the victory, after all the false prophets were dead, we see Elijah running for his life and praying to God that he would let him die. Now keep in mind, Elijah had legitimate fears. Jezebel was not a person to toy with. She certainly intended to make good on the threats against him, and she had the power and the personnel to do so. Now in the past, I have to confess to you, I've been a little disappointed and critical of Elijah. At least his response here. Victory to running away. And that is until I attempted, attempted to look at his situation from a different perspective. Here's the way I used to look at things. Elijah came against the 450 prophets, evil prophets that is, of Baal. He is used mightily of God to bring some of the people of Israel back to the Lord. He, in an overwhelming display of God's awesome power with a great deal of healthy sarcasm, clearly shows that the Lord is truly God and Baal is shown to be a fraud. He's even used by God to completely annihilate another 400 prophets of Asherah or Ashtoreth. By the way, Asherah was the female counterpart and possibly partner of Baal. But then Elijah receives a threatening singing telegram from one of Jezebel's messengers and he runs away with his tail tucked between his knees. And I used to ask myself, what is up with that? Why? But I have a little different perspective after doing a little more studying. 
The story clearly doesn't end at verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 40, that is. In order to get the Paul Harvey's the rest of the story, you have to go on to verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 through 46 say, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Verse 45, meanwhile the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink. Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So again in verse 42, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. So what's going on here? What are the issues with Elijah? Well, I think the first issue is that Elijah was exhausted. I know I would have been exhausted. I'm sure everyone in here would be exhausted. The signs of being exhausted are just now surfacing. Notice what Elijah told Ahab to do. In verse 41, he said to go, eat, and drink. Elijah knew of the coming rain and the strength that would be needed. Rather than following his own good advice, though, he chose to allow himself to get worn down and exhausted. But fortunately for him, God supernaturally intervened and gave him supernatural strength for the task at hand. Now follow along with me again as we read verse 46. And it says, Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Now remember, Ahab was riding in a chariot. He had his... Lincoln town car that day. He had it easy. But God gave Elijah supernatural strength and really came through for him. Now the second issue with Elijah, as I see it, is that he was discouraged. He was first of all exhausted and he was also discouraged. But why was he discouraged? Well, I think first of all, he saw this as apparent failure. He had expected the conversion of all of Israel and possibly even Ahab and Jezebel, yet he now had to flee for his life instead. The hope, labor, and struggle of his whole prophetic life, not pathetic life, prophetic life, appeared to be ending in failure. Verse, and also number two, point number two, loneliness. Apparent failure, loneliness. He felt that he stood alone in the battle of God's truth and righteousness. Now we know that this is not true because Obadiah was used to save the lives of 100 other prophets of God and you can find that earlier on in 1 Kings. So there were at least 100 other prophets of God still living and still active. 
And then point C, we can clearly see that he experienced physical and emotional fatigue. Physical and emotional fatigue after a long and strenuous journey. Now listen to me. It's critical for us to not only take care of ourselves spiritually, but it's also crucial that we take care of ourselves emotionally and physically. I was taught after I got saved. I was saved in 1984, thank God, at the age of 15. So do the math. Yes, I'm 46. Just a little side note there. And uh, I was taught that it was wrong to exercise. It was wrong to work out. Before I was saved, I used to work out a lot. And uh, that was a, a big priority in my life. But after I got saved, I was instructed. I needed to give all that up. And I look back on that and I go, wow, that was some bad advice. Duh. The person or the people were, were, were very well-meaning, but their advice was misplaced. You have to take care of yourself spiritually, emotionally, physically. I didn't hear any amens, so I'll amen myself. Now, Elijah, no doubt, was spiritually disciplined. He had his spiritual act together. But an area that he seems to have lacked good self-control over was in the area of physical stewardship. At least in this case, he didn't eat properly. He didn't sleep properly. But for more on that, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and read 5 through 18, and that gives you a little more information about it. But let's now look at this situation from an even broader perspective. Elijah could have gotten so frustrated and discouraged at being labeled the troublemaker of Israel that he simply gave up at that moment. If he had done that, there would be no confrontation with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. No fire from heaven. No glory and honor brought to the name of God. No end to the drought. And listen, no running from Jezebel and her henchmen. No fleeing of Elijah to Mount Horeb, where he actually met with God and God spoke to him in a still whisper. No anointing of Jehu, which is the prophet who succeeded Elijah. And Jehu was the one who ultimately ended Jezebel's life in 2 Kings chapter 9. So I've come to appreciate the wonderful character of Elijah in a whole new way after doing this study. This guy was ordinary. He was just like us. But God used him in extraordinary ways. And if God could use a man that was weak like that, surely he can use us as well. All we have to do is yield ourselves to his lordship, to his direction, his instruction. So the question is, where are you today? Are you exhausted? Yeah, I just lived through Thanksgiving. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I understand that. But I'm talking about a, a state of life. Are you exhausted? Are you discouraged? Are you ready to throw in the towel? If so, don't. Let me say it again. Don't give up and don't give in. God is still on his throne. Amen? Allow God to bring renewal 
and refreshing to your mind, your body, and your spirit. If you will, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to remind you, it's extremely important to work on your relationship with Jesus every single day. It is important for you to pray every day. It is important for you to study God's word every single day. That builds up your spirit. And it's also very important for us to treat our bodies and minds with the same love and care that God took in creating us. And we can do that by eating well, exercising, getting enough sleep so that we can be whole and healthy people in Christ. So if you're exhausted and discouraged today, maybe you feel overwhelmed and you just want to give up. I want you to know that you can find the peace and rest that you need in Christ today. Allow the Lord to fill your heart and your mind with his peace. And here's the verse I want to leave you with. Matthew 11:28, 28. And it brings a timely word of encouragement. Then Jesus said, and listen closely, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And it goes on in the next verse to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if you are carrying anything that is overwhelming to you, it is not from the Lord. It is not from Him. He does not overwhelm us. But He empowers us, He sustains us, He gives us victory. Lord, I pray that you will touch us today. God, minister your peace to our minds, bodies, and spirits. We trust you. We love you. What a great message by Pastor John, talking about having the thrill of victory and yet the agony of defeat. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com or look us up on Facebook.